Under Coach Pete Carroll, the Seahawks have been known for their stellar secondary play. Does the current group of corners and safeties have a chance to stack up with the all-time greats from the Legion of Boom? Rob Rang and I are going to be diving in on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We are closing in on two weeks away from report day for Seahawks training camp. Everybody get fired up. We're getting close to the start of the 2023 season. Today's going to be a very secondary heavy oriented episode. We'll be continuing our training camp previews with the cornerback position. And of course, continuing our 90 man countdown numbers 25 through 21. We're getting to the bread and butter on that 90 man countdown as well. We got a loaded episode coming your way. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Ever since Pete Carroll came to town in 2010, along with general manager John Schneider, the Seahawks have been known for their stellar secondary play, including the vaunted Legion of Boom that was at the center of their Super Bowl runs in 2013 and 2014. Last few years, there's still been plenty of talent back there, but none of their recent secondaries have been able to come close to matching the talent and the overall production of that vaunted Legion of Boom. But Rob, we're going into this season, 2023. Tariq Woolen going into year two was already a pro bowler last year. You draft Devin Witherspoon in the top five. You've got a healthy Jamal Adams coming back. Quandre Diggs was one of the best safeties in football in the second half last year once he recovered fully from his injury that he started the year off with. And that group, that core, and Julian Love being added to it as well, there's been plenty of talk out there about this secondary potentially being able to at least come kind of close to being as good as that group we saw in 2012 through 2015 range. Not all the experts out there necessarily agree with that, though. Yeah, there's a wide disparity of views on Seattle secondary, and I understand that just considering the fact that you have a you know a player in Devin Witherspoon who is a rookie, as impressive as his tape was at Illinois, he still is a rookie, and it remains to be seen what he is going to be able to do. Obviously, Tariq Woolen coming off of the, the knee surgery, um, those are two scary words when you put those in in you know, conjunction. Uh, you know, following a, as impressive of a rookie season as you can get in the NFL but still it was only one year and and so uh, I think that that's obviously a huge question here you saw a, a really nice season from Mike Jackson but still a player that I think is viewed by a lot of people as a journeyman um, and so what do you have after that a couple of players who were drafted in the middle rounds some of, in some cases like Trey Brown coming off an injury in another case like Kobe Bryant there were questions about speed and change of direction when he was coming out of college so I, I think that the, the, the Seattle's cornerback class or cornerback group in particular it is one that's going to be viewed with uh you know a lot of kind of shrugs from a lot of people around the nfl and i don't think we can ever really compare a secondary to the legion of boom my personal opinion that group arguably the best secondary that there's been in the nfl 
especially considering the era we're playing and where teams are slinging the ball all over the place, the rules that are put in place to really help the offense for them to do what they did. I think it's unfair to put that pedestal out there and say, okay, can you guys be this group? But I do think there are some things about this group, particularly at the cornerback position, that could make it a very special group that maybe that group in 2012, 2013, 2014 didn't necessarily check off. I think that this group is a more athletic secondary than the one that the Seahawks had during the Legion of Boom. And they got some guys that are going to whack people. That would be the one similarity that I really see between them, especially the cornerback spot. Now, the reason that we are talking about this, Mike Clay from ESPN, you and I, we tout his unit rankings every single year because I think Mike does a fantastic job uh, for the most part. But there's once in a while a ranking that makes me shake my head. Sometimes I think the Seahawks are ranked too high, and there's other times where I'm like, I don't know about this one. And for me, even if Devin Witherspoon wasn't drafted in the top five by the Seahawks, if they did not invest a high draft pick in the cornerback position, I still think with Tariq Woolen and Mike Jackson and Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant – I still think that that is a formidable top 10 caliber cornerback room. And yet in Mike's rankings, the corners came in at number 16. So we're talking barely being in the top 50% at number 16. And I just look at some of the teams ahead. Denver's got Sertan, but then the rest of their corners, I think, are iffy. Buffalo is a decent secondary, but I think their strength is the safety position. Kansas City McDuffie's got some upside. They got a few other solid players, but they don't have the star power or the production that Seattle's room has. And then you throw Devin Witherspoon into the mix here, what you think he could be. And I know there's projection here, but it just feels like, Rob, there are at least four or five teams here that are in the top 10 that I'm scratching my head a little bit about. Even if Devin Witherspoon wasn't part of the equation, I feel like the Seahawks, this is one of their big strengths is that quarterback position. Oh, I 100% agree with you that 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 cornerback is is arguably Seattle's greatest strength. I think the wide receiver is also very strong. The running back room is also very strong. But uh, Seattle's cornerbacks being ranked 16th, I, I think that the, you can make an argument that um, that ranking Seattle's corners in the top 10 is a bit premature because there is some projection there again. Obviously, with Witherspoon and again Tariq Woolen coming off of the injury, but I think that the proof is in the pudding, as I often say on our show, that uh, the, the Pete Carroll secondaries often play very, very well, and they have never had the caliber of talent that this group has in, in terms of speed, in, in terms of physicality, in terms of pedigree at the highest level in, in big time college football. I mean, what, what Tariq Woolen did a year ago, Corbin, was absolutely remarkable. And, and uh, I, I still am a little hesitant to, uh, to to push Seattle's rankings at cornerback in, into the top six or seven or eight, um, just because of the fact that I am hesitant to, uh, to kind of bank on Tariq Woolen being able to duplicate what he did a year ago but my goodness he was really remarkable to see how well that he played despite the fact that he didn't even really understand the game that much at, at that point he was basically just going off of, of pure athletic ability so the upside with him is, is so incredible and with Witherspoon you just watch him on tape and just an instinctive physical football player I think it just kind of is going to complement what Seattle is looking to do on the other side with, with Woolen as well I, I agree with you I, I look at the the, the the cornerback rankings and, I, and I'll certainly acknowledge I mean 
mean, that, the combination of Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard in Miami, I mean, that just sounds like something out of a video game, you know? And, yeah. and Dallas, it's it's very similar. Dallas got Trevon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore. I mean, come on. I mean, it just sounds kind of crazy. But once you get past guys like that or, or teams like that, I, I think the Jets, sure, Sauce Gardner, and Seahawks, no DJ Reed. I think that I think the Philadelphia Eagles, Darius Slay, and uh, you know James Bradbury. I mean, some some good ones out there. Um, you know, at the same time, once you get past that five, six, seven kind of range, to me, that's where Seattle really should be. And I think that there's a possibility Seattle's going to be thinking top three, top four kind of rankings with the, the possibility of even being number one in all of the NFL if things go the way that Pete Carroll is hoping for. Yeah, and I think really if this secondary, there's the questions with Devin Witherspoon, what he's going to do, and we haven't seen him play an NFL game. And so until we see that, it's tough to really put hands on what he's going to do, what kind of impact he's going to have on this team. We think he's going to be really good with him being a top five pick. But I think you've got similar question marks at the safety position. And I felt like Mike Clay's rankings at safety were far more formidable, so to speak. Seattle coming at number five, I feel like that's a decent sweet spot for them. I'd probably have them at six or seven without knowing whether or not Jamal Adams is going to be pre-injury Jamal Adams or not. That is really another big question mark there where you're going to have some projecting coming off that injury. But if you do have a healthy Jamal Adams and he returns and he's disruptive, then I think that this is a top three caliber safety group with him, Quandre Diggs, Julian Love, Jarek Reed, the seconds of player they're really excited about. Even without Ryan Neal now in Tampa Bay, it feels like that safety group could be a very good one, but you have some question marks there. So I think five maybe is about as high as I'd go without knowing where Jamal Adams is at. If he's healthy, this can be one of the best safety groups to go with a really good corner group. And then you got a special secondary. So it could be special. There's just question marks here. Yeah, definitely question marks with Jamal Adams. I mean, but at the same time, there's, I just feel like at times, Corbin, that we have to kind of, uh, you know, just shine the light. Uh, positively on, on Jamal Adams because there's so many negative Seahawks fans out there about Jamal Adams. So I'm just going to kind of, you know, focus in here for a moment about just what a force he is at the line of scrimmage. The, the, the force fumbles. I, I'm going to rattle off. If you were to put those safety, uh, the, the safety tandems back up on the screen there, you know, you have the Buffalo Bills. They have DeMar Hamlin, of course. Everybody knows about DeMar Hamlin at this point and Godspeed to him and his recovery. The, the, they're kind of led by Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, Taylor wraps also I, I i have no problem with the buffalo bills safeties being ranked number one as a unit they don't have a safety on their roster that has the force fumbles or tackles for loss or sacks that jamal adams has the same thing with the saints the same thing with the titans the same thing with the ravens uh, i mean if you look at what jamal adams is able to do i mean he really is a force and, and so that to me is, is one of the things I think that we have to kind of keep mentioning here is if Seattle does get a fully healthy Jamal Adams back, then he really does just catapult Seattle's rankings in, in this way, in, in this position, this positional group, excuse me. And I think just in the defense in general and, and therefore in, the, in their ability to be a Super Bowl contender in general, just because of, of what an impact player he, that he is. And I would make the same argument with, with Quandre Diggs as well. And, and to a lesser extent, almost with Julian Love as, uh, as well. With Quandre Diggs and the interception total that he brings, 
there's only a few of the the same of, of those safety total those safety tandems excuse me that that can even compare to Quandre Diggs alone when it comes to his I believe it's 23 career interceptions the the Saints number two uh, on that safety list, they certainly are the, are the the class of the bunch uh, with, with their their combination Marcus May and in, in Honey Badger Tyron Matthew. But at, but after that, you know, you, there's not many out there. Maybe Kevin Byard um, of the of the Titans also has similar numbers. Marcus Williams of the Saints has similar numbers. Or excuse me, Marcus Williams of the um, of the of the Baltimore Ravens, former New Orleans Saint. Anyways, my point is, is that if Seattle can get all of their, all their guys kind of on the field at the same time, and again, Julian Love being a huge part of that, then I really think that Seattle's safety tandem, um, or safety trio, I guess I should say, really should be one of the absolute best in all of the NFL. And again, one of the, the true calling cards of Seattle's defense. When we come back, we're going to continue talking secondary, training camp preview, the cornerback position. We've only barely scratched the surface of our analysis of a position group that could be one of the greatest strengths for the Seahawks. We'll get to that here in a moment on a Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you away by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball and FanDuel. Get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose, that's $200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. It's all in the app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. If you're listening in Florida or you're in nearby Bellevue, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For everydayers out there, coming up on Blue Friday, I'll be joined by Nick Lee. The two of us will continue our Forecast Friday series with Ken Walker III and Bobby Wagner will also be ranking defensive positional groups. Should be a really fun episode. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to the cornerback group. And yes, we had a chance to already talk a little bit about him in this show with Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon and company. But this group, when you look at potential, and Rob, that word is dangerous. It is a scary word because we've seen plenty of players come in the league that have tons of potential, and then they don't fulfill that potential. They don't live up to the hype. So you got to see the guys on the field. You have to see what the group looks like. There's hype, and then there's actually fulfilling that on the field. And so until we see this group out there, we don't necessarily know what the Seahawks are going to have at cornerback. But at the same time, we know what Tariq Woolen is, and we have an idea what he could be, even coming off this knee injury. He's still a raw player, and he was a pro bowler last year. Witherspoon, if there's going to be a sure thing at the outside cornerback position, he's a guy that jumps out to you with the skills, the IQ, the physicality that he brings to the table. Mike Jackson was a quality starter last year, and he's only had one season under his belt as a starter. He's still a young player with room to improve. Trey Brown's fully healthy, more than a year removed from his knee injury. And oh, by the way, Kobe Bryant is probably better as an outside corner, but he's learning to play in the slot. You've got Artie Burns here as well. Isaiah Dunn probably could play for a number of teams, and he's probably going to be the odd man out in that position group, him and Artie Burns. They've got a lot of experience. They've also got a lot of youth, and there's a lot of different skill sets, and that just makes it a really exciting group that does have a ton of potential. 
Oh, it has a ton of potential. It's got a uh, you know, just think about the about the teams that that Seattle is going to be facing, the quarterbacks that they're going to be facing in the NFC West division. I mean, Kyler Murray is going to be adjusting to a completely new offense. Whatever is going to be happening with the San Francisco 49ers and their revolving door at quarterback, and then you got Matthew Stafford coming off of the arm injury. So, you know, again, I think that this is a, a cornerback group that does have a lot of potential, and I think it has a potential to absolutely be stars in, in the NFC West and help Seattle really kind of catapult themselves to the top of the division. I think when you look at this group, you know, it's not a question of, of, of how good are they. It's really, it's it's how quickly can they become a dominant unit? And, and that's really the essential question that we have here um, is how quickly can this unit ascend to the ranks of the NFL's elite? And that to me, I think you could make this, you can answer that question in a, with another question is, you know, what is Tariq Woolen going to be able to bring in year two? It, it, I, I, every bit of the evidence that I saw a year ago, Corbin, to me, is, is very encouraging. Obviously, that the size, that the, the ball skills, the instincts, the, the 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 willingness in run support that I did not see on tape. All of those things are very encouraging to me. And the fact that he struggled a little bit in San Francisco, loss uh, in the playoff game against uh, one of the best route runners and Brandon Ayuk. Hey, that, that's going to happen because you have a you know, a dynamic athlete that he's paired up against. But I still was really encouraged by everything I saw from Tariq Woolen. What scares me is the fact that I, I do think that that, that you know, losing the game the way that Seattle did and, and with, with, you know, again, one of its biggest superstars at that point, Tariq Woolen getting burned, uh, you know, in, in that game. I think that that kind of had to nod him. I, I think that he wanted to be ready to hit the ground running, so to speak, this season. And maybe that's what led him to kind of stub his toe, quite literally, um, you know, and, and have the injury to, to start off things. And so that's the thing that scares me here is that you, you want to kind of slow down you know and, and make sure that he is ready to go and everything can kind of move smooth move smoothly rather than shuffling Devin Witherspoon around and moving Mike Jackson around just kind of you, you want to believe that that Tariq Woolen is going to be the foundation you can build everything else around if that is indeed the case and I certainly believe that's going to be the case if that is indeed the case, I really think the Seattle secondary is absolutely going to be spectacular this year. I think it's going to be difficult for any of these other corners, the Trey Browns, the Kobe Bryants, to be able to get onto the field because I think that Witherspoon and Woolen are going to be absolute studs. And I think that Mike Jackson is going to be about as solid as you're going to get at that nickel spot. Yeah, I think when you're looking at the upside for this group this year, it has to start and end with where Tariq Woolen goes in year number two, because we have seen what he can do on the field. And obviously Devin Witherspoon, if he comes in immediately and has a year like Woolen did last year, where he is competing for defensive rookie of the year, and you have Tariq Woolen playing at a high level or even better than last year, if you have that duo right there, that is going to already be a top three caliber cornerback duo. But there's some ifs there with Tariq Woolen coming off the injury and Devin Witherspoon. We haven't seen him play in a game again until we see him on the field against NFL competition. Yes, the college film is outstanding. He looks like he's going to be a stud in the NFL, but we don't know it yet until we actually see him out there on the field. So that is going to be your first barometer that you're going to be looking at is what do you get from Woolen and then Witherspoon, obviously, as your top five pick that you're expecting to start right away. And then the second thing for me is that slot position. Because as well as Kobe Bryant played at times in the second half last year, as we talked about in an earlier episode this week, there have been times where 
the lack of quickness and ability to change direction were very visible at that spot. And he's going to have some competition. There's a name that wasn't on that depth chart that I showed a minute ago. Julian Love is a safety, but he played a lot of slot corner, and he's got better quickness and change direction skills, at least testing-wise, than what Kobe Bryant does. And he's going to be a third safety, most likely. He's going to get snaps playing in that slot position. So I think Julian Love has to be accounted for a little bit when we're having this discussion because he could be playing in the slot. And this is my wild card. We've talked about this in the show. Devin Witherspoon was dominant regardless of where he played at Illinois. He played a lot inside, not by design, but that's just the way their defense was set up. He was matched up against slot receivers, and there was a passer rating against him below 15. That's how good he was on those snaps. So Seattle, they've already looked at him a little bit this offseason there with Woolen being out. I could see Seattle changing up how they do things compared to the past and saying, we've got an elite, unique talent here. We're going to let him move around a little bit. And if that happens, Mike Jackson's going to play some on the outside with Tariq Woolen, and you're going to have Witherspoon playing inside. And I think the third factor that we have to account for here, and you mentioned Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant and some of the other players on this roster, but – what if there is a player that just comes out of nowhere in that slot position? Trey Brown hasn't gotten an opportunity. What if it happens? What if Seattle says, you know what? He's not going to play on the outside. Let's see if he can play in the slot. And he goes in there and his lights out. Suddenly, a secondary a cornerback group that we already think is going to be really good. If you have a surprise like that, a positive surprise, and Trey Brown is back to being the player he was before that injury two years ago, now we can start talking about potentially the best cornerback group in the entire NFL. And we can start having discussions about another elite group, not the Legion of Boom, but another group that can get its own name for the way that it plays on the field. So I think that's something else we got to consider. Is there that X factor that's waiting in the wings that maybe surprises in a positive way and takes this group to another level? Yeah, that's where I'm kind of curious to see myself. I, I really do think that Seattle is going to be – set with those top three corners and, and i think that it's going to kind of work itself out and whoever slides inside to play that nickel spot I, I do think that witherspoon has proven that he can handle that at least at the collegiate level and again mike jackson i just think that he's wired his mentality i think fits in very well i don't think that that is the best fit for Tariq Woolen. i want him to stay outside uh specifically and then with trey brown and kobe bryant to me, Trey Brown is the better athlete of the, of the two, um, but Kobe Bryant's instincts, we already saw it last year with the way that he was able to punch out the football as often as he was. Um, you know, To me, th- that's one of the reasons why I do think that it's going, that you're basically uh, going to be Nostradamus here, sir, that you're going to be predicting the future. I, because I think that you're going to see that Seattle's corners on the outside are pretty much able to smother receivers early on. If Seattle is able to get any kind of a consistent pass rush, and that, of course, is a huge question. But if they are, I do think that Seattle's corners on the outside are going to be able to kind of clamp down a little bit. I think that's going to lead to a lot of short passes in the middle for those dime cornerbacks to get an opportunity to create a big play. And all that's got to happen is one pick six, something like that that's really going to spark some things. I think over the preseason, it's going to create a whole bunch of buzz for a guy like a Trey Brown or Kobe Bryant or some of the other corners who are battling to try to get uh, you know an opportunity on this very, very deep and talented cornerback roster. And as we've talked about a few times on other shows, you know, you could have guys like, I don't think Trey Brown's going to get shopped, and I don't think Mike Jackson's going to get shopped, but if you have another team that has a big injury at corner and suddenly they're desperate and you're in a position where neither one of those guys are starting for you and you get an offer you can't refuse, Godfather style, John Schneider is going to be willing to roll the dice or maybe say, 
oh, we have a needed defensive tackle. Give us a late round pick. And, oh, you have an extra nose tackle that'll help us. Come on in. And so those options are always there. But it's a good problem to have. You just got to hope that you can keep your group healthy because that is always the X factor with all these positions groups. But if they can keep these guys in the field with all the depth that they've got to youth that they've got, this has a chance to be a very special cornerback group. But again, there's some projection to this, especially with a top five pick that still hasn't played in the NFL, such as Devin Witherspoon. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We greatly appreciate it for our everydayers out there. Blue Friday coming up tomorrow. Nick Lee and I will be taking a look at Forecast Friday for Ken Walker III and Bobby Wagner, and we'll continue our defensive projections our defensive rankings for each position group we did offense last week should be a fun episode you won't want to miss it let's continue our 90 man countdown and we've already talked about a few old faces that are now new faces but we got another one to talk about today this is a position group that is still very much in question and part of it is because as good as jaron reed was in his first stint with the seahawks including a double digit sack season he's been okay the last two years in kansas city and green bay rob but Last year was certainly not one of his better seasons with the Packers. And especially when you turn on the film, there were some games where he was really good up front and the defense seemed to kind of feed off of his energy. And there were some games where he got bullied on the line of scrimmage more than what we've typically seen. The Seahawks have to be hoping that they are getting a rejuvenated Jaron Reed that's really happy to be back in the Pacific Northwest and that there's not going to be near as many of those snaps given their defensive line situation right now. Corbin, I, I just remember when when Seattle drafted Jaron Reed. Uh, you know, I I happened to be in Mobile, Alabama, um, actually with Jim Nagy at the, at the Senior Bowl, um, and and I just remember watching Jaron Reed compete, and and he just basically wanting it more than a lot of the other guys there. I mean, just was as nasty and physical. I mean, he was kind of one of those players that that first got Seahawks fans thinking about defensive linemen that were had these so-called heavy hands and and had kind of built their reputation at the senior bowl. And there's been some players that maybe have not had quite as much success in the NFL as Jaron Reed has had um, that, you know, has led people to kind of think of that as, as a bad stereotype, but it, it was a good one. It was kind of a trendsetter that he was that kind of a guy. I mentioned all that because, you know, Jaron Reed played at Alabama, of course, goes to the senior bowl, excels in the top of competition, comes to Seattle. And when Seattle was on the rise, Jaron Reed was a big part of that. He goes to Kansas City, you know, competing for championships, goes to the Green Bay Packers. They got Aaron Rodgers going to be competing for a championship. And then everything falls apart in Green Bay. And I am not ever going to question an athlete's, you know, willingness or competitiveness but i think it would be difficult to when you are as competitive and you you are looking for for wins the way that some guys do that i, I think that that would be a difficult situation to play in and so i wonder if that's part of of the reason why jaron reed I, in my opinion uh didn't have a, a great year a, a season ago um and maybe is being slept on and obviously he's an aging player but i still see a very powerful very productive very versatile defensive lineman I think that he's going to wind up being one of the, the real uh, benchmarks of Seattle's defensive line this year um, and, and going to be a good one for Seattle. Never going to be a superstar. He wasn't a superstar in the get-go. As you mentioned, the double-digit sacks, he certainly never saw that type of production coming from when he came out of Alabama. But I do think it's a good player and going to be somebody part of Seattle's rotation along the defensive line. 
Yeah, he's a player that now in his 30s still maybe has a couple good seasons left in him. The Seahawks are hoping for that with the two-year contract they gave him. Up next, though, we've got a player that's at the other end of the spectrum. He's coming off a rookie season where the statistics might not necessarily paint the picture of how well he played for the Seahawks, and part of it was the limited opportunities, particularly rushing the passer. But Boye Mafe, I feel like he's a player that isn't getting talked about, about enough right now. And the reason that I say that, yes, you drafted Derek Hall, and you've got high expectations for him. You had a first-round grade on him. You've still got Daryl Taylor there. You've still got Uchenna Nuosu, Tyreek Smith's coming back. There's a lot of bodies there with a lot of potential. But I still feel like Boy Mafe, he was one of those players, even though he was a little older rookie coming into the league, he still was somewhat raw. And to see him come out, Pete Carroll mentioned in August, roughly a year ago, he's going to be a situational pass rusher to start off. He ended up being the best run defender that they had from a consistency standpoint at the edge position. Uchenna Nuosu was pretty good too, but Nuosu had some mishaps that were clear and obvious with messing up gaps. Going back and watching the film, you are going to be hard-pressed to find very many mistakes by Boye Mafe against the run. He was one of the few players that was actually good defending the run for the Seahawks last year. And I still feel like his greatest attribute is going to be his burst off the line of scrimmage and turning speed into power as a pass rusher. But he had, I believe, eight games last year with 10 or fewer pass rushing reps. He just didn't get a chance to get in a rhythm. And I feel like this kid is somebody that's getting slept on right now with the additions Seattle's made, the players that are coming back. And because he is a stout run defender, if that, that translates again to this year, or he's even better in that regard, and he is able to make a big step forward as a pass rusher, I think there's a very strong probability that he's starting across from Chenna Nuosu in week one. I hope so. I mean, I think the boy Mafia's got that type of talent. Um, I'm I also think that Derek Hall and Daryl Taylor have, have similar type of talent um to really be difference makers. I, I just I, I want to see one of them take that next step and really carve out that role rather than all three of them playing minor roles and none of them becoming the uh, truly effective, well-rounded player that I think Seattle needs if they're going to become a playoff caliber team. Um, Boye Mafe, as you said, Corb, I mean, he came in, uh, you know, with, with a, you know, a whole bunch of hype because of an impressive workout and because an impressive senior bowl. I mentioned before with Jaron Reed that, you know, how impressive Jaron Reed was during the senior bowl practices. Boye Mafe was the defensive MVP, if I remember correctly, of the yep. game itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he was terrific during the senior bowl practices as well. I think that the Seattle likes to likes to bring in veterans to try to uh, just kind of shape the mentality, the the work ethic, the the practice habits, just kind of show how what they expect to be a Seahawk and to be a pro. I think that Jaron Reed, we talked about him a moment ago. I think in some ways he may have been brought in to help a player like a Boye Mafe, who again has all the talent in the world, and I by no means am trying to question his work ethic or dedication, but just about how what it what it requires uh you know to be effective in all ways as an nfl player and again with boy mafe to me he is still a player that that has a great deal of talent but you have to get him to kind of coordinate his hands and feet at, at times it's you know it, it looks a little bit amateurish out there as I mentioned before, Jaron Reed was not viewed as a as a pass rusher when he came out of Alabama and yet became that. And so maybe he could be exactly the type of coach on the field that might be able to help out a young player like Boye Mafe, who, again, I, I think has a great deal of upside, should be a starting caliber player in the NFL, if not this year, certainly by the end of this upcoming season. 
And Bruce Irvin served that role for him last yes. year. Irvin yes. talked glowingly about how much Mafe improved as the season progressed. You could see it on film. So I'm curious to see how that rubs off in his play, the exposure he had to Bruce Irvin last year going into his second season. Now, coming in at number 23, some of our listeners are going to scratch their heads a little bit. Why is a backup running back ranked this high on the list? But we are talking about Pete Carroll's Seattle Seahawks here, and we are talking about a second-round pick in Zach Charbonnet that even with Ken Walker the third in front of him, there are going to be plenty of opportunities for Charbonnet to make an impact. And I know that this is maybe going to be pushing the envelope a little bit. I don't know if we can expect a Reggie Bush and Lendale White type combination, but I think that that's what Pete Carroll and John Schneider and company are hoping that this becomes for them is that you have your lightning in Ken Walker, the 30, you have your thunder in Zach Charbonnet, a player that at 214 pounds, has the ability to bowl over guys. He dra drags the pile. He breaks a lot of arm tackles, but he's surprisingly fast, surprisingly quick, and he averaged seven yards per carry last year as the bell cow for the Bruins. So this is a very talented back. That's why they took him in the second round. And I just believe that he is going to be an important part of this offense, even if he is not your feature piece. I expect Ken Walker III to be that guy it is never a bad thing to have two starter caliber running backs, especially when you run the ball the way Seattle likes to. Yeah, again, I, as we talked about before, I, I really think of DJ Dallas is a starting caliber running back as well. But definitely these top two. Corbin, I think that Zach Charbonnet is going to just, if he just puts up the numbers that we saw Rashad Penny put up a year ago as the primary backup, you know, obviously getting the second most carries uh, to Ken Walker, who obviously took over as the season went on and Rashad Penny going down. But if that's exactly what Charbonnet produces, then I still think that he's going to justify him being listed here. If something happens to Ken Walker, I think that Charbonnet is going to be a top 10 player on our rankings a year from now, because I think the guy's an absolute star. I think that he is a, a future, uh, you know, standout in the NFL, whether it be in Seattle or elsewhere. I absolutely believe that he is a starting caliber running back. And, uh, and I think that if he is fortunate enough to be the featured back in Seattle's offense that I very much believe is going to just run the ball right down the opponent's throat or going to try, then I think you were talking about double digit touchdowns. I think that there's an easy scenario in which Charbonnet, even if he is playing that Lendale white sort of role, as you mentioned before, that he could be an offensive rookie of the year candidate, just like Ken Walker, the third was a year ago. I think that it just, it just is a testament to how much Seattle is going to run the ball and how good frankly these two backs are and staying with our rookie class the other second round pick coming in at 22 on our list you already name dropped him a couple times when we were talking about boy mafe because Derek hall is going to be in the mix to start across machinu osu as a rookie i firmly believe that because when you turn on the tape and you watch what this kid did at auburn the ability to turn speed to power and just ambush blockers and shrink the pocket down, the effort that he plays with. He plays every play. You know, you hear this cliche sometimes, but it's true with this kid. He plays every play like it's his last when he's out there. The guy just has a relentless motor, goes to the whistle, nonstop effort, physical player, can set the edge. He can be disrupted, get in the backfield. 24 tackles for loss the last two years at Auburn. There's a lot to like about this kid. But like every rookie coming into the league, Rob, and we saw this with Boye Mafe some last year, I think there's a lot of similarities between these two guys in terms of the way that they play the game. I think Hall is a more polished player coming into what Mafe was last year. But 
He has the ability to play that guessing game sometimes and get Burns a run defender. He only rushed exclusively from one side. I'm wondering how that impacts how much he's going to play. And he has to develop some counters because he relied too much on power most of the time and he could get away with it in college. I think in the NFL, you got to have more counters. So with all that list I just mentioned there, you know, some of these other guys are going to have some NFL games under their belt, and that's going to give them a little bit of an advantage. But Hall certainly has the physical tools and the mindset and the grit to push for snaps to start right away. Yeah, when I was evaluating Derek Hall, Corbin, I, I just you couldn't help but get excited by just the sheer power with which he plays. I mean, there are some guys who just play like like it's like they're men playing against boys. I mean, they just kind of bounce around, and and, and that's one of the things that that you see with Derek Hall. You know, almost. It, regardless of what kind of uh, task he's being asked to do, whether he's being asked to take on a blocker, whether he's being asked to make a tackle, as you said, he just kind of plays this hair on fire. I know that's kind of cliche and, and all that, um, but it is, uh, you know, and, and to me, it, it's that type of physicality is what I love watching on tape for any, for any player. Uh, but that's the thing that kind of gets me to sit up in my chair when I see a player that just plays with that type of just kind of natural ferocity. Um, you know, those often are a lot of the best players who would have thunk it. And, uh, and, and Derek Hall has that in spades. I mean, maybe it's, it's the story, you know, obviously of the, the very difficult, uh, you know, childhood and birth. Um, you know, maybe it's the fact that he played for an Auburn team. I mean, everybody who lives in that region knows that mighty Alabama is mighty Alabama. And so I, I've just always admired the players that go to Auburn with the mentality of let's go beat Alabama, you know, and when you watch the way that he played against Alabama, um, you know, to me, that is one of the most exciting things uh, about him. So again, I, I, like we talked about before, I, I have a, a, a great deal of excitement about Daryl Taylor. I have a great deal of excitement about Boye Mafia. I have a great deal of excitement about Derek Hall. I just want to see one of them put it all together because they all have some type of issue that is going to have to come together for them to be able to really be a productive player here. We've talked about a number of players in this segment of our countdown that are the super explosive athletes, and they tested really well. We're going to cap off with number 21 here, a player that is not known for his athleticism, and that's not being offensive, but Will Disley is not a guy that's known for running away from defenders or running a 4-5-40 like Noah Fant. He is one of those old-school tight ends that rocks people at the line of scrimmage, has underrated hands, plays with a high football IQ, really smart guy that finds openings in the defense, and he'll surprise you a little bit with his wiggle after the catch for a player of his size and attributes but will disley nonetheless is one of the key players for this offense because he is like having an extra offensive lineman on the field when he's healthy he is such a good run blocker he's a good pass protector when he's kept inside and he's a good security blanket he almost got to 400 receiving yards last year finally was getting involved a little bit more in the passing game i don't know how many more targets there's going to be there's probably going to be less this year as we've talked about with the tight ends with all the other weapons they have but you can guarantee that Will Disley is going to come through with a few clutch catches in key opportunities because he seems to every year. And you know that he is going to be a factor in getting that run game going to where Pete Carroll wants it to be more consistently than it was a year ago. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we've uh, you know talked about you know kind of glowingly how Kobe Parkinson has gotten bigger and stronger as a run blocker. Kobe Parkinson has gotten to where Will Disley has been the last four years. You know, and so that that's the thing is that you know I when we talk about athletes, as you alluded to, Noah Fant and Kobe Parkinson are better athletes. We're talking about pure all around football players. Will Disley's transition from defensive lineman to offensive lineman and tight end, I think just kind of speaks to his toughness, his size and physicality. Um, and then again, he, he's a savvy route runner, man. I mean, this is a guy that that really, when he gets open, he really does get open. And, and he is able to kind of gallop for their 10, 15 yards after the catch because of that. Um, you know, I, I was at the, the pro day that John Schneider likes to talk about where Will Disley, I mean, just the softest hands in the room. And he really does i mean he's got big mitts and you just don't even hear the ball hit his hands and, and so he is just a natural receiver so all of those qualities are, are why that he has become a you know an above average and starting tight end in the nfl for a long long time and i think that he's got a, a bright future ahead of him the medical questions are are concerning of course and that's what makes this upcoming season a big one for him because obviously with all theory of seattle's tight ends uh, entering the final year of their deals as we talked about a lot uh, Disley being the highest priced of them. This is a big, big year for him. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on our Blue Friday show, I'll be joined by Nick Lee. We'll continue our forecast Friday series with Ken Walker III and Bobby Wagner. Plus, we'll be ranking defensive positional groups in our usual weekly Blue Friday game. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.